0: When you look at your life, what do you see? Success? A good person? Something very ordinary, perhaps? Or maybe more? Christ's offer, in contrast, is something different, something opposite, yet something entirely better, something extraordinary. And while it's not far off, we won't find it where we typically go looking. No, we won't find it there at all. Hey, I'm Heather. I'm so glad to be with you, and we are so glad that you are joining us. We are continuing our series on Extraordinary Living answering the question, what sort of life are we living? It's a legit question. I think for many of us, and I'm including myself in this declaration, we get so caught up in the chaos and the urgency of day-to-day life that we end up settling for something that's not what we hoped for at all. And I just don't want to live an average life. I don't want to settle for mundane i want extraordinary and my guess is that most of you are with us we've been diving into the book of philippians to find out the way to extraordinary living and we're going to continue that so as you grab your bible and turn to philippians chapter 2 let me offer a few reminders of the book of philippians so the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, and it was written to one of the churches in Philippi that was filled with new Christians. And Paul and his companions had started that church on their second missionary journey, and it's actually the first church that was on the European continent. Amazingly, Paul wrote these words from prison. Keep that in mind as we talk through them. He wrote them from prison and as with all god-breathed scripture we know that this letter that was written to the church at philippi was not written to us but it was written for us in this year let me say that again because that's gold this letter was not written to us but in god's sovereignty it was written for us Our focus this weekend will be Philippians 2, 5 through 11, but to offer us some context, let's start at verse one of chapter two in Philippians. And here's what Paul writes. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This set of verses, especially verses five through 11, have been given much attention by New Testament scholars because of what they say and how they say it. Many believe that Paul was quoting a hymn that the early church used to sing because it's so rhythmic and it's so poetic but others hold to the fact that paul carefully crafted these words himself as part of the letter to convince the church at philippi to have the same mindset as christ either way what really matters is that paul thought it important enough to use these words as he worked to convince the Philippians that they needed to have the same attitude as Christ, especially in their relationships with one another. Now, I know having Jesus as our goal, as our marker, as our model in anything can feel a little overwhelming, right? Because he's Jesus, (laughs) he's God. I'm quite certain that what's hard for us isn't hard for him. For instance, I bet he doesn't eat two entire rows of double stuffed Oreos in one sitting. (laughs) I bet he responds the first time his mom asks him to bring the garbage container down to the end of the driveway. And I bet he didn't have bad thoughts when that other guy on the donkey cut him off on the road to Jericho. (laughs) But if we think about it, as Christians, as followers of Christ, what's our other option? If we're not pursuing to be like Jesus, are we just trying to be a good person? Trying to be a better version of humans than our parents were? Or setting the bar so low that we can feel good about how high we can jump? That's not extraordinary living. And Paul's prescription for extraordinary living is to have the attitude of Christ. And according to Paul, Jesus earned the right to be our model for attitude. Look again at what he wrote in verses six through eight, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Truly, an entire sermon series could be written on the theology that's packed into these three verses. It's a beautiful summary of the doctrine of Christ, is what we call it, explaining what we believe as Christians that Jesus did and who he is. But for today, Let's just sit in awe with the fact that Jesus, being fully God, a full member of the divine trinity, went from the highest place imaginable. Paul writes, being in very nature God, to the lowest place, being born as a human baby in a cattle stall and taking the very nature of a servant. Paul writes that Jesus made himself nothing. In the Greek it also translates to he emptied himself which has led some people to think that Jesus somehow became less God to become human. But as we look closer at Paul's careful phrasing by taking the very nature of a servant we see that the Greek word for taking, which is labon, doesn't imply an exchange, but an addition. In other words, humanity was, not, humanity was actually added to Jesus' divine nature. None of his godness was lost. He simply chose to re- redirect his godness to an attitude of love, and service and obedience to be our model. Biblical scholar Frank Thielman says it this way, although he had access to all the privilege and power to which his identity with God entitled him, and although he could have exploited that privilege and power to dominate his creatures, Jesus considered his deity an opportunity for service and obedience i don't think that we'll ever truly understand the sacrificial shift that jesus made and according to charles spurgeon what he did should demand our highest of praises here's what charles says the lower he stoops to save us the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence blessed be his name he stoops and stoops and stoops and when he reaches our level and becomes man he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet it would be easy to read these verses and simply appreciate them to genuinely be thankful for what Jesus did on our behalf but just leave it at that. I think if we did this, Paul would say that we missed the point. We are to strive to be like Christ, especially in our attitudes of servanthood, love, and obedience. I really like what the NIV Life Application Bible said about Jesus adding humanity to his deity. It says, in his full humanity, Jesus showed us everything about God's character that can be conveyed in human terms. In other words, he gave us a tangible example. He showed us the way to live, and it started with attitude, attitude. Let's talk a little bit about attitude. For those of you who don't know, I work with teenagers. For the last 30 years, I have been doing student ministries and 25 of them right here at Wooddale. I love teenagers more than I did the first day that I started. And I know that's odd, weird, and exceptional, but I think it's fantastic. (laughs) And having been a teenager myself and hanging out with teenagers now, I know that every teenager has heard their parents say in a strong and maybe even threatening tone, I don't like your attitude. (laughs) According to the Oxford English Dictionary, attitude as a noun is described like this, a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. I love it. So it's not only a way of thinking, but it's matched by behavior. I want you to think of a teenager that's in your world. And maybe that teenager has an attitude about his curfew or her chores or family meetings or how grandma takes his bed when she comes to stay over. Or maybe they have an attitude about your dad jokes or their younger siblings. And I promise you, if you have a teenager in your world, there is a behavior that reflects those attitudes. (laughs) So maybe it's the eye roll, the sigh, slamming doors, the pushing of your buttons, noise canceling headphones that just get put right on, or doing the exact opposite of what you asked. Listen to this definition again. A settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. Now, it's true that attitude is definitely magnified when you're in adolescence, but I think we need to be honest. Attitude is a human issue, no matter the age. So check out these adult attitudes. You know your boss is gonna shoot down your idea as soon as you bring it up. And you know that before you go into the meeting with him. You get agitated an hour before the family birthday party, just knowing that your sister-in-law is going to dominate the conversation and act like it's all about her. Or you keep talking on your cell phone as you pay for your items at Speedway, totally ignoring the cashier. Or you and your situation are the exception everybody else got the project done on time but you should be able to turn yours in later <laughs> did i strike a nerve with anyone i continually marvel at the relevancy of scripture this was written by paul in the year 61 <laughs> and it is just as meaningful today as it was the day that he wrote it The truth about attitude is that we have a choice in every moment of every day, what our attitude will be. One of my favorite pastors, preachers and authors is Charles Swindoll. He's a pastor in Texas and he has a radio program that has been on for years and years called Insight for Living. And I started listening when I was in college and I just can't get enough of his insight into the Bible and into life. And Charles Swindoll has a perspective on attitude that we all need to hear. Listen to what he says. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do Is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. The attitude that Chuck is referring to here, and by the way, I call him Chuck because. I'm certain that if I ever had the chance to meet him, we'd be friends. The attitude that Chuck is referring to here is the same attitude that Paul is describing in Philippians chapter 2. No matter the circumstances, we must choose the attitude of Christ. And Paul knows that we can't do this on our own. It's God at work within us. Look at what he wrote in verse 13, just a couple verses later in the same chapter. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Back in May, I preached about the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. If you were here or if you've seen it, you write, might remember that I had a chocolate milk illustration. So in that illustration, we are the milk, and when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit represented by the chocolate, the Hershey's chocolate, comes into our lives. And it's a beautiful thing, but we need to stir up the Holy Spirit so that we can experience all that God has for us. It's the same with pursuing a Christ-like attitude in our lives. We can't do it on our own, but we have what we need inside of us, in the Holy Spirit, God himself. But we need to stir up that spirit through prayer and Christian community and reading his word. I think that I'm a pretty friendly person. I mean, I like people a lot. (laughs) I treat people well, but sometimes I have a hard time loving certain people. Can I get an amen with that? (laughs) During a particular struggle with this, I talked it through with my counselor. That's right, I see a counselor. I'm a huge fan of counseling and I believe that every human being should have somebody outside of their world, somebody with a different perspective to offer them tools and to ask them questions. I mean, the way I see it, I take my RAV four in every five thousand miles to get serviced. I go in and get my teeth cleaned every six months. I give my two Saint Bernards heart guard every month. Well, what am I doing for the caring of my mind and my soul? If you're interested, Wooddale has a great list of counselors of faith to start you in the process, and we would love to share that with you anyway so I was sharing with my counselor my struggle with loving this person and he said Heather next time that you go to be with this person why don't you pray and ask the Lord to love them through you this was a a totally new concept for me especially because I love to like muscle my way through things that are hard now, some might say it's just semantics, but it's not. Me asking the Lord to love them through me represents a change in my attitude. It changed the source that I was tapping into, and it changed the outcome. As I walked toward our meeting place that day, I did. I prayed and genuinely asked the Lord love them through me today. And I walked into that situation with a spirit of submission. And our interaction was different than any other that we had had before. I've gotta believe that Paul knew it would be a hard ask. He knew firsthand the power of the sinful nature that is in each of us, that affects our attitude. Do you remember what he said in Romans chapter seven, verses 14 through 20? It's, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but it is one of my favorites in scripture because it's so honest and it's so good. Listen to what Paul writes. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, I do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. (laughs) I can relate so much to the back and forth and the struggle. And Paul can too. He knew that it was a big ask and yet he challenged the church at Philippi and he challenges us with it. Knowing what he wrote to the church in Rome, in addition to what he writes in Philippians, having the attitude of Christ is a natural byproduct of us offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Let me remind you of what he wrote in Romans 12, verses one through two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, having the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will we can think of it this way. The attitude of Christ is the constant. Our human attitudes, if we're honest, are often all over the place. But our attitudes are also shaped by something. Our attitudes are shaped by something. And Paul argues that that should be Jesus. That's what we should be shaped by. If you've hung out with me at all, you know I am a visual person and visual illustrations just make sense to me. So let's imagine that this water is us and our attitude. Now, I don't know a lot about science. Science and math were my least favorite classes. No surprise, my favorite was speech and English and lunch. (laughs) But what I do know is that scientifically liquid takes the form of whatever container or environment it's in so for instance if i just chose to pour this water onto the stage it would take the form of the stage the water would spread out and flatten out to match the stage as it is with these containers if i pour the water in the water takes the shape of this very cute orange vase. It is no longer this shape, it is now this shape. And remember we said we have a choice every day in the choice of our attitude, and we have the choice of what will shape our attitude. Social media is a big one that I find shapes our attitude. When we're out and we're scrolling and we're liking or not liking, our mind, our attitude is being shaped. If it's not social media, maybe it's the people that you hang out with. What they say, what their attitude is, what they do shapes your attitude. And maybe even when you find yourself with them, you begin to talk like them, you begin to agree with them and have the same attitude as them. For some of us, maybe what shaped our attitude has been our past. Whether we came from a broken home or had parents who didn't love us, whether we were abused or bullied, but that, our past that we hold on to, has shaped our attitude, which then affects how we see everything in our life every day. And Paul is arguing with the church at Philippi, and I believe with us, that Jesus is the one that should shape our attitude. And our attitude should be shaped to match his. This represents Jesus because it is my favorite color and it is the most fun vase so we have the choice every day to have our attitude be shaped not by social media not by culture not by those that we hang out with but instead by jesus christ himself what kind of difference would that make in our lives if we were able to do that we have been given the mind of Christ as followers of him, but we need to choose to engage that mind of Christ every day. In our highlighted verses today, Jesus' attitude was displayed primarily in the way that he humbled himself and became a man and the way that he died on the cross. And those examples are obviously powerful but they're not really ones that we can match on an average thursday here in the year of 2022 so let's look at some of jesus attitude toward the people to with whom he came in contact jesus, let's look at jesus attitude toward the outliers I mean, unless we're talking about a legion of demons or a few pious religious leaders of the day, Jesus treated everyone he came in contact with, with sincerity and kindness and love, no matter their reputation, no matter their station in life. Think about it. He not only healed the leper, he touched the leper as he was healing him. He saw and celebrated children and women who were seen as not worthy in that day. He chose what many would have called misfits to be his disciples and the ones who led the way for the Christian faith with the early church. And he empowered everyone to look desperately for that lost sheep, coin, and son. It almost makes you want to be an outlier, doesn't it? Think about Jesus' attitude toward important people. Ah, the beauty of Jesus is that everyone that he came in contact with was important, except for maybe the people who thought they were really important. Have you ever paid attention to how people treat people who have been deemed important? Just pay attention the next time the president of the company walks into a room or observe how a celebrity is treated at the airport or a restaurant or a gala. One of my goals when I meet a celebrity is to treat them like a normal person. I don't ask for autographs. My goal is I just wanna have a normal conversation. Each person that Jesus encountered He saw them as created in his own image, fearfully and wonderfully made, and that gave them innate importance. And I am sure that each one of them felt important, and it changed their attitude. What about Jesus' attitude toward the Father? Although fully God, Jesus prayed to and honored and spent time with Father God. Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus leaving crowds and leaving his disciples to go and spend time with God. In the garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew the pain and he knew the death that was to come and he still submitted to the Father's will. That's an attitude of obedience and that's something that we can match. We have a choice every day. We have a choice of our attitude and specifically What shapes our attitude. And I am telling you right now in front of you that I am going to choose every day and probably multiple times throughout the day to have the attitude of Christ be what shapes my attitude and to draw from His power and discernment and love so that I can too have an attitude of love and sacrifice and obedience. And I believe wholeheartedly that not only will that change me, it will change every situation that I approach. So Father God, would you allow this to be true for each of us? May we acknowledge the selfishness that is naturally in our attitude. May we see this beautiful model of Jesus And may we tap into your power in order to be more like him. May we ignore and reject the messages and the attitude of social media and the news and negativity and our past that was hurtful. And may we choose instead the one who loves us and saves us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.